You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Ball Soccer Liberty Podcast on the We Are Libertarians Network. I'm your host, Jeremiah Morrill, and as always, I'm joined by our co-host, Dakota Davis. How's it going, Jer? Hey, buddy. Our show is about our lives in rural Indiana. It's a show about folks who are involved in politics. We promise that our episodes are going to be a fun and an easy listen. We interview people who are influencers, elected officials, political experts, and people that we just find interesting. Uh, this week, our, uh, our we have a, a, a new rotating uh, co-host over in the far chair, Aaron Eward, is making his his debut at, on the uh, Boss Hog Liberty Show. You've heard him on We Are Libertarians a number of times. Welcome, Mr. Aaron. Thanks, Jeremiah. Glad you made it. I'm glad you had me. Now that you live on this in this side of the state, we get to hang out a little more. You live down yeah. in, is it Franklin County? Franklin County, Metamora. Metamora, beautiful it's Metamora. An it's only an hour drive. It's, it's an, an hour away. It's, it's like a religious temple down there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the same distance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it feels closer. Yeah, I'm on this side of the state. Now. Dakota summer home is down in that part of the world. Yeah, Brookville. It That's is right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. not too far. Yeah, maybe we're, twenty we're minutes. Going down there this weekend. Have to do some renovations. Ooh, picking up another growler from our friends at uh, Norris English Pub in Liberty. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you yeah. ever been there? I've not been to Liberty yet. Oh, it has a, a lot of friends there. It's great. It's a it's a really good place to eat. They have great beer. We like to go to Liberty for photo shoots because it's the Boss Hog Liberty. Yep. You it, know, it, we just go and great. take pictures in front of the water tower and act like we own the place. <laughs> <laughs> so on the uh, on the other side of the room, if you're watching on the uh, the live stream, uh, we have uh, the first time on the show. This is the second guest in a row that has their own Wikipedia page. It's Steve Horowitz <laughs> from uh, now at Ball State University. Yeah. Noted economist, and uh, we were talking earlier, you've got some videos on YouTube that are over a million views. One, anyway. Uh, one on the gender wage gap that, uh, that I think last I checked was 1.1 or 1.2 million. Maybe. Are you pro-glass ceiling, then? Is that the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, the interesting thing about that is is that, that, that what made that go is it got onto Reddit. It got to the top page of Reddit, uh, okay. uh, and that'll do it, right? And the comments were interesting. <laughs> I, I can't imagine having a video go that strong where you just like it. There's no way to even keep track of the right, amount of comments. Can. Right. And plus, you, I mean, first rule of YouTube is don't read the comments. Right. So, uh, yes. Well, we've got 120 subscribers, so we still value <laughs> each right. of ours. All right. We got uh, we got to where we had 100 and we were we were able to get our uh, boss hog liberty slash YouTube. And we're thrilled about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you guys got this good, good plug opportunity. I guess people can watch yep. the uh, the live YouTube video. Yep. Yep, and and all those. I mean, there's a, uh, one place if you want to see Horowitz videos. The best place to go is the LearnLiberty.org, uh, which is a project at the Institute for Humane Studies. There's a bunch of my stuff there, both short, you know, four or five minute ones, but also some longer lectures too. So that's a good place to go. To. And you're also featured. I know that you've got some interviews with Reason on there and some other some reason, leading uh, yeah. libertarian think tank yep. type foundation groups. and Foundation for Economic Education fee.org as well. There's a bunch of Horowitz. Oh. Stuff there, Horwitzisms. Yes. So you've been uh, you've been over here for about two years. We were talking earlier. You, yep. You've joined uh, Ball State University in their uh, in their economics department. Yep. yep. Uh, back in Jul- sort of July of 2016 as a visiting scholar and then as a full time faculty member this past fall. Well, chirp chirp. Yep. Yeah, chirp 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 chirp. 
We see the uh, my day job is up in Muncie, so we see the people wearing the Ball State stuff all the time, running around yep. over there, uh, going to lunch and things. Yep. The McAllister's Deli today. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, can't well, go wrong there. That's right. So this is uh, Dakota. We've had like the most crazy week of churning out content for Dear Leader uh, in the We're Libertarians world. We did three podcasts last week. We did. We did uh, three different podcasts. It was it was it was busy. It was exhausting for me. Uh, very physically exhausting as a, the introvert that I am. Uh, you know, I'm being told that we have no sound. We're going to continue on and see if it's uh, see if it's anybody else or it's just me. I don't know. It's hard to know. Hard to know, know if there's sound or not. I'm, I'm getting all of it on the on the live stream camera. Okay. We'll so. continue on. We apologize for the uh, yeah. for the delay here. Um, yeah. So uh, last week we did uh, we did the interview with Tom Saunders. We had the Robin Miller interview, and then we did a. Uh, episode of we are libertarians with uh with chris spangle as well right after the uh right after the parkland shooting we did yeah it was a it was it was a really good episode we said we stayed in there for what 45 minutes yeah it was uh we had some good conversation there was a lot of conversation about um you know what what an ar-15 actually is Mm -hmm. what a what uh, that it is an armalite rifle it's not an assault rifle that's not what ar stands for um but basically, you know, I, I plugged that into the show notes so that we could just give a little plug in there as uh, we're not really going to get into it on this show. But if you've been sitting there in your in your house and you've just been like, oh, man, I wonder what those guys are at Boss Hog Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> wonder what they have to say about all this stuff. You can uh, find that episode on the wearelibertarians.com on the big page. We were uh, we were featured. Quite the honor. So, and then the uh, the other thing that happened this week on Tuesday, uh, we were invited. You were invited. I guess we were all invited, but I was busy. We went to the uh, the soil and water uh, event with uh, all of the farmers except for Cade Coger in Henry County. Um, we, we went to Cade, Cade's a farmer. Cade, well, he's not a real farmer. He got told after the after our our okay. show last week the uh, the comments. There were a lot of people that let Cade know that he wasn't a real farmer and he couldn't speak on farm issues because he has it much easier than previous generations of farmers right. did. So uh, hashtag not a real farmer right. has, has been Cade's thing all week <laughs> <laughs> as he's delivering cows and, right. you know, and, and, and doing all of the other farm type things. Right. Yeah. So, the, so the first guy with a plow got to say that to the ones who never had yeah, a plow. Yeah, you, you right. didn't right. have to right. do it as hard. Yeah. Right. You know, you, you're not as good there. as I was. Yeah, I had to go out there with a hoe. You guys right. have horses. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah. The wooden yeah. moldboard <laughs> plow ruined everything. That's right. Now they're all just yeah, now GPS and everything I, else. It's not, I, it's not I, real. I fully believe that that Kate Coger is a real farmer. In my opinion, that's I'm going to put that out there for everybody to know. So I attended I attended that dinner with the uh, the soil and water guys, and yep. then uh, Justin Stevens of American for Prosperity invited us to go Tuesday. They hosted the Republican Senate debate, right? And you got to go as uh, as media mogul Dakota Davis. That's yes, that's correct. Uh, covering in the uh, in the political world, tell me tell me what it was like. You went to the MS World headquarters and they had the three three debate yeah. three uh, elephants debate. What happened? Yeah, that's right. We had the you know like you said the three elephants were up there debating, and I thought it was actually going to be like a big giant you know like a, there was going to be a, a big stage and there's going to be you know hundreds and hundreds of people in here watching the debate, and then uh, we went up to downtown Indy last Friday and. I was like, hey, we need to drive by this address because it's where I'm going on uh, Tuesday. We drove by, and I was like, oh, that is not an auditorium. That's the actual uh, headquarters for WIBC. Yeah, it's just their uh, circle, studios yeah, on the so circle I down felt, there. I felt really uh, it, it kind of like set in like, oh, this is, you know, this is actually quite the honor to be mm-hmm. invited to go here, you know. And um, 
it was it was a really good experience. I I got to uh, catch up with uh, with our old buddy Jonathan Lamb, who came in our sixth district congressional candidate. Uh, he was he was there for a. Um, to give out business cards and stickers and had, you know, signs everywhere. And he was a, he sat, he ended up sitting next to me like the entire time, actually. And he's a really good guy. He's I a like ball, Jonathan. He's a Ball State Econ alum, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he is. Yeah. yeah. So Jonathan, uh, Jonathan was there. Um, I sat down, watched the entire debate. Um, I got recognized from the Boss Hong of Liberty podcast by about six people. It was a, uh, that was very exciting. Actually, it was kind of it was kind of terrifying to be recognized in that in that setting. If people are watching the video, you've got glasses now. I assume that you're wearing yeah. those just because of the, the getting recognized in public. You want to be like That's Clark right. Kent, and yeah. you want to you want to change your appearance. I have to, you know, podcaster by night, a regular right. Joe Blow blue collar worker by day. Mm-hmm. But uh, it it was it was really weird being recognized in that in that type of setting where I had you know state senate candidates that were coming up, people who were working for the Todd Rakita campaign came up and they recognized me. From a podcast I host in my spare bedroom uh, north of Q Avenue in Newcastle. The right. secret is you don't even wear pants. You just wear a shirt. It's like Anchorman. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's poo-bearing it. Winnie the Pooh. Why do, why do you think we have to have this long tablecloth That's in front right. of us? It's yeah. for everybody's protection. Yeah, no, it was... Uh, it Especially was, mine. Yep. It was really for good. Your protection than mine, ladies. <laughs> so, uh, Dakota, tell us. People can go back and watch the debate, but who won? You you, you saw it. Who so rank and force? Rank and force. One, two, okay. three. So I'm I'm sitting there during the entire debate. First off, I would like to say that Tony Katz did a fantastic job moderating it. He actually, you know, he he didn't ask just uh, random questions, but he actually called the different candidates out on votes that they had made in the past. Like, you know, um, Congressman Messer, you voted yes on this bill. Bill, please explain your position to the voters. Like that, I thought that was awesome, but uh, I really expected a lot out of Mike Braun. Uh, I'd, I've been following that campaign a little bit, and uh, you know he's the, supposed to be the the Rand Paul type, right? The true constitutionalist conservative. Um, and man, Todd Rakita came out there and mopped the floor with both of them. Really? Oh yeah. He did. It, it was it was incredible. He came out there. It was it was the greatest spectacle in in politics little, on Tuesday night. Little known fact: I fixed Todd Rukita's crawl space. <laughs> Aaron's day job is crawl space repair. Yeah. And, so you're uh, a, you've taken care of that one. You're oh, a yeah. you're a Washington insider now. Is what I'm. Is I, what I'm I've been in the belly that. of the beast. You've drained his swamp. I did. He did a he. Like it was, it wasn't just like a get up there and be as professional as you can be. He he went up there, called everybody out on every little thing that they had done, and just made it super clear as like if I was a Republican, based solely on that debate, if I knew nothing else, then I would be voting for Todd Rakita in the primary. Mark Warner is going to be thrilled to know that. <laughs> I'm sure he will. I'm not going to be voting in the primary. I can't have that black mark on my permanent record yet. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Uh, all right. Well, very cool. What do you mean yet, as our county chairman says, <laughs> yet? You're yet. planning on voting as a voting Republican soon? I'm just saying you never know you what's going to come across. You reserve the right. I understand. 
All right. Well, that's that's enough of that stuff. If people want to go back and watch that debate, I'm sure they can watch it through uh, through WIBC and MS and American uh, yes, uh, I think the, the AFF group. It's actually posted on uh, Justin Stevens' page too. AFP, Americans for Prosperity, you know, yep. not not American Freedom Foundation. There's so many so many initials. Everything's got an initial, Steve. They do. They do. Yep. They've got FEE and FFF. They're all they're yeah. They're all they're all freedom. <laughs> yep. We need to be the boss. We're the boss of yeah, liberty. B H O L. Yeah. We're one one step below a holes. We're mm-hmm. b holes around here. <laughs> <laughs> I got my uh, I got my uh, fancy uh, license plate in Indiana back in the day. Uh, you used to have your county as a number, so Delaware County beat eighteen, Henry County thirty three. Stickers, right? Yeah, they yeah, st- yeah. they still have the stickers in the right, corner. So right. it used to be it'd be thirty three whatever right. for Henry County, and the Libertarians, the, or the Democrats, and Republicans had their own. So Dakota and I got cute and we got our L's. So I got my thirty three L plate, thirty three L two yesterday. I should have gotten the B H O L, but the state probably wouldn't let me have yeah. the uh, have that one as an, uh, yeah. a fancy yeah. one anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's, maybe that's next freedom time. of speech man maybe for the wife's car once so uh, once you once <laughs> <laughs> once i get a chance to customize sarah's plate maybe we'll we'll, we'll make her the uh the we'll give her the uh the, the vanity plate oh i hope so all right so steve you were uh how in the world did you end up here you started out in michigan you went to new york state up in my birthplace for a while and right. now you're here in central indiana how, how does this happen? Well, so uh, I was born in Detroit, in Detroit, grew up in Detroit suburbs, uh, did my undergraduate at the University of Michigan. Uh, and, you know, I was, a, I was a libertarian from the time I was about 16 or so, right? So, so I even before I went off to college, right, I already had those, those commitments. And college, I, you know, sort of, I wasn't going to be an economics major or anything, but I figured if you're a libertarian, you need to know something about economics. You're going to be arguing politics the rest of your life. You better know some economics. So I took econ second semester of my freshman year and had that experience that I think most economists have, which is go, oh, yes, of course, this this is how the world makes sense now. Um, and uh, and so around the same time, right, I had already read Rothbard and you know others, and so I kind of knew the Austrians and knew from a very early point that I wanted to go to graduate school and, and continue studying, and that the place to go was to go to George Mason, because that's where the Austrians were. And the time I went there, I started before Jim Buchanan won his Nobel Prize and before they were sort of on the map. So that was like a windfall profit for me to get there, and then you're there, and the second year you're there, you're, one of your professors wins the Nobel Prize, and suddenly, wow, okay, now... Now you're at these spots. Right, awesome. right, now, right, yeah, now it's, so now it's it's a, you know, it was an entrepreneurial uh, 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 venture that, that paid off. So I was there, and then Finished there after four years, and in 1989 went out on the job market. And uh, I could have stayed at Mason another year if I wanted to, but St. Lawrence University up uh, in Canton, New York, in the in the North Country, St. Lawrence Valley, offered me a job there. Uh, that was you know 89, uh, which I took, and I was there until uh, you know for 27, 28 years, depending on how you want to count. Uh, so uh, so it was I was there. Uh, then uh, while I was there, uh, I got divorced and then fell in love. And the person I fell in love with lives in Indianapolis, so that's a problem. <laughs> right? How do we how do we make that work? Because uh, I wasn't going to do the long distance relationship thing, but but through you no, know, I've, no, I've made that drive. That's eight hundred yeah. miles. Each yeah, no, way. no, it's no good. Yeah. That's a fourteen. I, I've done it once, and that's all. It's <laughs> one going one way. Um, so so the you know what do you do? And and it's really hard in academia actually to do what I did, which was to make the leap from from one school to another. But but Ball State, thankfully. At that time, was uh, getting this big grant to set up the Schneider right. Institute. Yeah. And, uh, so Ball State has taken these huge leaps in in the economic. Mm-hmm. I know Dr. Bohannon is yeah, there. Right. Uh, you're there. 
Yeah. Uh, you've got this big, uh, it's not William Shatner, it's the, uh, John, yeah. John, the John H. Schnatter, <clears throat> Papa John Pizza. Yes. That's right. Yeah. He'd, uh, who, who, who is, people don't know, but he's from Ball State. He learned how to yes. make pizzas at Greek Pizzeria. Yes he, yes, he did. And he, and, uh, uh, he was a business school graduate. And so he has, uh, given money back to Ball State and a couple other schools now to, uh, uh, to endow these, these research centers. Uh, and so th- this was created, you know, about the time that, just before, as I was negotiating to come as a visiting scholar, uh, but part of that deal was that they created two new uh, openings in the econ department, and one was for a senior person, and couldn't have worked out better. So I wound up not only being able to come out here and like have a life and get a job, but get a spectacular job uh, with an economics department that's doing really great, cool things. Yeah. So whenever, uh, whenever actually I I graduated high school in 2014. Yeah. So. Um, what am I doing here with you kids? <laughs> yeah. so, this, is, this show is like, I'm the, Aaron yeah. and I are like the world's oldest millennials. I'm born yeah. in 83 yeah. and Dakota is, yeah. every yeah. time I look at Dakota, I just go, oh my God. Yeah, it, yeah. Get on a Tide Pod. <laughs> yeah. that, that, was, that was Gen Z. Huh? Yeah. I'm going to put my, put my foot down on that one. <laughs> Dakota says those are the kids doing that crap. <laughs> so I, I graduated in 2014 and as a lot of my peers went off to different colleges, different universities, everybody went their separate ways, you know, we... We all went to a very conservative, you know, backwoods, rural country school, mm. and uh, everybody started turning into a, a Bernie-type Democrat socialist, and then a couple of them went farther into, you know, Marxism and full-on mm-hmm. communism, becoming tankies. And one of uh, one of my old peers, he uh, he actually started a little student coalition. That was protesting the the the, the Schneider, Schneider Institute, yeah. and uh, they uh, so there's like this whole website, this whole protest. Yeah. It's called uncokemycampus.org yeah. and or dot com. And so uh, you guys got a bunch of coke money for running around up there. Is that well, the deal? Well, so, so right. So the so I mean the grant the 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 Schneider Institute is funded both by by Schneider's money and Coke Foundation money. So it's a combination of the two, and essentially. You know, Schnatter wants Schnatter gives the money, wants a name, and wants sort of a vision. But the Cokes have the expertise in how to put these things together right, and make yeah. them work. Right? I'm, yeah, and, and the, the whole thing, like he he, they showed up to all these different school yep, meetings. They yep. they showed up everywhere, and they were all protesting. And it was it was kind of crazy. Like it, it's fine if it's fine if you want to throw all this money into something that agrees with my ideas. But mm-hmm. as, as soon as you start throwing it into something that actually is going to disagree. With my with my capitalism, with my or with my yeah, critiques on yeah, capitalism, yeah, yeah. it's it's all of a sudden a a, a bad thing, and uh, they they kept citing you know corruption. Uh, there's a, you know it's it's the same as you know all these lobbyists in Washington D.C. It's the same as that. They're they're taking over our campuses and they're misleading all of our education. They're going to brainwash all of the students, and yeah. it's just it was. It was kind of disgusting to see and i kept like constantly getting into debates with him um this is that like right as i started getting into libertarianism and he finally ended up unfriending me and (laughs) i tried to send him a message i found him again and sent him a message because i wanted you know his side right since you were coming on the show and uh he he ended up blocking me right after (laughs) i sent the message so yeah yeah. So, well, when I got there, you know, in summer, fall of, of last year, it, it had settled. It had settled down a bit because it was it was worse. I think before that, when the grant was announced in the spring of sixteen, I guess it would have been. Right. Um, it, you know, those guys were pretty active and pretty noisy and and, and so on. And some last year too, uh, but it's 
been very, very quiet this year, and I don't. I'm not sure why. You know, we had we've had our speaker series. We had our first speaker in, and one of the women associated with the Progressive Student Alliance. That's basically the same group as the Uncoked folks came and wrote a thing in the Muncie paper that was in a complete misunderstanding of what the speaker said. And I, you know, I put I sent a letter back to the letter to the editor back, and then I emailed her and kind of said, and I said to her, hey. Let's, you know, if you have concerns, let's talk. Let's have coffee. You know, uh, I said, I'll pay. I'll even use my own money. I won't use any grant money. I'm broke (laughs) money for your coffee. Um, (laughs) But let's just talk, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to be completely transparent about what we're doing. And, you know, and and she sort of said, well, I'm busy and blah, blah, blah. And so I wrote her back in a couple weeks, said, hey, still, and then never heard anything. So, you know, um, I'm a great believer in if you can sit down with people you disagree with and talk to them. you know, if if I'm not, I don't think I'm doing anything. I don't know what the problem is with what we're doing. Uh, right. I, I mean, I know what they think it is, but it's not. It's not actually the problem. Uh, but you know, I, if you can sit down and talk, I think then you can. You know, you can help people understand that it's not. You know, things aren't sometimes what they what they think they are. But right, we get this. Uh, you get this image in your head of of how horrible the people that disagree with you right. are, and right. then all of a sudden, yeah. You right. know, whenever somebody comes up to you, and you know, I I'm just as guilty of it myself. As soon as somebody that has that opinion approaches you about something, you kind of have that you're snapped back into reality right. as to you know these people are are they're they're people just like me that right. hold a different opinion. And and I I find it you know this sort of notion that somehow we're brainwashing students or whatever is really interesting for, for a bunch of reasons. But the most interesting one is nobody's being forced to take any classes. I mean, there's you know none of this money is paying for particular kind particular courses, and there's no requirement. No, it's like not like we're saying every Ball State student has to take a course from Horowitz because you know that's you know it's no thank God for that <laughs> right. So what what exactly is the nature of this sort of supposed brainwashing right. that's happening here why i just you know i want i want to hear what i want to be able to ask them is what's the objection to what the cokes are doing that isn't the, that you disagree with their politics what is it how are they undermining your ball state degree or your ball state education in such a way that you find so objectionable I, I, if you can disagree with them about climate change or fossil fuels or whatever f- that's fine but what is it – what's in this grant? What's happening here that's so terrible? You know, It's just the opportunity to protest. Yeah, yeah right, right. To protest them and it's, it's there, right. it's there for mean, them to do know, we're, we're having a reading group. Uh-oh, oh no. Right? The world's going to fall. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what, exactly, what exactly is the problem there? So how many courses like, – talk me through the life of a professor because I haven't yeah. had a real-life one in the chair yet. Are, are you teaching five days a week? Do you well, have the three, f- three or four different courses you take? Yeah. I, my, my, literally, I went to Ivy Tech and right. I went to Indiana Wesleyan. So I took like Econ 101 and then Micro and Macro well, and that was it. Indiana Wesleyan, by the way, has a great little Econ department there. There's several good faculty members there, libertarian-type yeah. faculty members there. Um, so there's a complicated question in my current situation. But in general, right, I mean, I, my, I have a you know this sort of distinguished professor, so my teaching load is fairly low. I teach two courses a semester. You know, typical professor at Ball State's teaching three Maybe four, depending on, on you know, on, on all that. But I have, you know, it's expected I'm doing research and running this grant and doing all these all these other kinds of things. At the moment, uh, I'm teaching both of my courses online, and that's for medical reasons. We can, you know, we can talk about this. Sure, well, I don't care. But but I'm in the uh, last November. I had a cancer diagnosis. Um, and so I'm in, you know, I'm undergoing chemo and all this kind of stuff. But as you can see, I'm definitely you ill. You look very, yeah, you look I'm very well. Ill. Thank you. Uh, uh, I, of course, I don't know what you look like before. Right, so right. Fair enough. You may have gone totally denied. <laughs> fair enough. No, it's, you know, so no, it's good. Without going out to all these, it's going well. So, so my schedule these days is really weird because I'm teaching all online. I go in a couple of days a week uh, to, to do some stuff. But hopefully this will be, you know, we'll be in 
better shape uh, come come the fall. So so yeah, I mean it varies from professor to professor, and the and there's different you know different kinds of jobs. If you're you know if you're on just a teaching contract, you're doing a lot of teaching, but uh, faculty who with big research you know uh, histories and expectations will will have a different different set of expectations. So what kind of research projects are you doing? Is it top secret stuff that the, yeah. that the Koch brothers no. are funding that yeah, nobody no, can no. know about? Is that no. the deal? Uh, well, you know, again, things are kind of in a holding pattern right now. I mean, the big project I want to pursue shortly is a, I want to do a, a, a book project on the Great Depression, which I've taught a course on for a number of years. And uh, I'm just endlessly fascinated by uh, and I, and it was going to be the thing I started when I first got here 18 months ago. But, you know, all these other things happen. Uh, so eventually I will get I will get back to that. Uh I've also been doing a bunch of stuff, uh, writing a bunch of stuff on inequality, and I don't know if those will ever kind of come together as a book project or something. But, but I think there's a whole. That's a, obviously an issue that people are very much concerned about. I think ones that a set of issues that libertarians need to talk about. We need to be able to confront in, in effective ways. Right. Uh, so for me, that's been a fun. That's been a fun set of projects, and some other. I'm going to continue to I think do some things with that. Yeah, those would be good. You have a your books are actually available on Amazon. They we are. We discovered know, yes, today. Yes, uh, depending on you know, can you afford them is the question. Uh, it's a, a, the, it's supply and demand is in full force with yeah, your book, with your books right now. Yeah, I tried. I know it's the the most recent one. The, I the couldn't Hayek's, find maximum utility. In yeah, the, purchase. <laughs> the Hayek's Modern Family one is was expensive from the start. I was just saying to you guys earlier today that uh, I gotta go kick my publisher in the butt because they're supposed to have had a paperback version out by now that should be cheaper but the older the the, the book on austrian macroeconomics from from a few years back normally runs about 35 or 40 bucks on amazon i haven't looked recently but that. that's yeah that's not that's you know that's a little expensive but that's not ridiculous that's not the 120 <laughs> that's, uh, that's 100 the i looked book. online it's 120 bucks to yeah, buy his book here yeah, and it's 40 no. to rent it yeah right <laughs> i don't know who rents them but you can yeah. rent it for 40 was yeah there, was there a hurricane unfortunately they were all Hey, during if, Katrina. We, if we don't live our model, who will? Right? <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's great. I, you need to have a paper book one out because I really yeah. I have a distaste in my mouth for all hardback books. Well, I love reading out of a paperback. I don't know why. Well, like I said, it was supposed to be September, and they're I don't know what they're doing. So we'll I'll go. I'll let the top of my email list tomorrow. We'll be go kick my editor in the rear end and Chinese, see if we can do it. little Chinese kids aren't putting them together fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> and that's by the way, that's the stupid thing. But these are all print on demand, right? Oh, so really? right, so yeah. that you know, it's basically when an order comes in. The publisher crank one out, right? So it's uh, it's it's not like they're taking up room somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell us about the uh, the Learn Liberty blog yeah. post that you've got out there. You've got you said you talked about your wealth inequality stuff, yeah. and then something called football's concussion, concussion spice, uh, crisis. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So a couple of things. So Learn Liberty is a is a longtime project of the Institute for Maine Studies, where where uh, and it basically started as as a series of producing in house videos to get across sort of uh, you know basic uh, economic and other kind of uh, classical liberal uh, concepts. And I did a series of videos for them uh, that were among the first ones. The one we were talking about earlier with the million views with the gender wage gap one. They were all about economic myths. But they you know over the years that 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 sort of thing has expanded and gone in different directions. And they've done like courses and things like that. There's a I don't think they're public, but I did 52 short videos on the Great Depression as part of one of these courses. The the football's con- concussion crisis, that was a blog post, but there was also um, – I, there was a video that went with that too. Yeah, and short I did, video. Yeah, short video. And I did a whole course for them teaching basic economic principles using fantasy football examples. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. I, I, I looked through all of those yeah. and uh, I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy – 
I guess there's nothing that he, he won't touch on. Like, right. all your Learn Liberty videos is such a wide range. Yeah, like, thank it's, you. That's, it's really that's cool. The fun, that's the fun part, right? You know, yeah. uh, um, and the, the wealth inequality one, I'm thinking, is probably the one with the debate. Was that the debate one with me and the blanket on the guy's name, Ryan, yeah. in the red sweater, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 yeah, that was the one. Right. So that was uh, – but, there's again, there's a series of other videos that are just me that are sort of looking at those inequality issues as well. So, by the way, for, for, for viewers who have never looked at LearnLiberty.org, that's an absolutely tremendous resource now. There are hundreds and hundreds of videos by yep. – by all kinds of people on all kinds of topics. Uh, you know, faculty, I mean, I use them in class sometimes. It's weird when I use my own, but I do every once in a while. Uh, <laughs> hey, this guy looks smart. Let's yes, listen. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So, so, uh, it is awkward kind of watching your own, you know. Um, God, that guy's good looking. Well, and I'm thinking, right. And I'm thinking the students are thinking, wait, why is he showing? Couldn't he just like teach this? Why does he have to show? Because <laughs> it's better. It. It's better in the video. I say it's better there. Uh, because it's got on the cool waist up and I wasn't wearing right. pants. Yeah, well, right. <laughs> it's got cool graphics too. Um, so, so, you know, uh, so those, those are great resources that, that I think faculty can use in the classroom, but I think they're also good resources, you know, if you, you're in a debate on Facebook or wherever and you want to share something, you don't yeah. want to share a stupid meme with a typo in it, right? Just, you know, exactly. you actually have something that, that's of substance. And it's all, they're all faculty, right? So they carry that kind of, you know... Uh, yeah, and that's... Uh, those, um, uh, those Learn Liberty videos and the blogs that you've done, yeah. they've really kind of elevated you to this celebrity status <laughs> within the libertarian community. Yeah. Like, I feel like I need to have you sign something after before you leave here well, today. Uh, yeah, it'll be worth about that much, right there. I might uh, be able to sell it at the convention in uh, May. It, well, you, right, or if you're going to LibertyCon now, special joke for my wife if she's listening. Right, I'll have, I'll sign it, but I'll sign Walter Block's name to it instead of mine. So, <laughs> those of you who know a story from last year about me being confused for Walter Block, <laughs> that's great. Similarity yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's not it's not ridiculous, right? Um, <laughs> and you were saying earlier about being recognized, right? When you yeah. when you go out, yeah, that's that's it. That is a weird. I mean, you go into academia and you don't sort of you know you're never thinking sort of celebritarian status, right? And so uh, the experience I have, like it, when I go to Students for Liberty stuff, especially the big one in, in, in February, March, kind of like walk through the lobby of the hotel and you can kind of see, you know, kids going, well, a lot of libertarians yeah, right, yeah. do that anyway. They're looking at shoes. You've got neck beards and people looking right, at shoes. Yes. Yeah, so, so it is, you know, it is, it is. I was in an elevator there one time, right, uh, at a different conference and a guy says, says, says you're you're the guy with the gender wage gap video, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, he goes, I just used that in class the other day. I'm like, oh, okay, great. You know, I mean, it's it's cool and I like it, you know, but but it's uh, it's weird. It's just weird. It's not what, one ex- you know, when you go into this job, you don't expect to have to have, to have that part of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the, and then uh, the way that I actually found out about you, it was he, Jeremiah, he, he had said, hey, I just talked to this guy named Steve Horwitz. He's interested. He's going to come on the show. I'm like, why do I know that name? Like, mm-hmm. like I know that name for some reason, but I couldn't put a face to it. And then, uh, so I, I Googled you and then uh, your, <laughs> your, your bleeding hearts libertarians uh, page actually came up. And okay. I remembered that, um, whenever I got interested in libertarianism, I was working as an electrician mm-hmm. in the construction industry and told one of my friends, I'm like, I wish that there was a political party that had the, economic policies that the right is supposed mm. to stand for and the freedom policies that the uh, left is supposed to stand for. And he's like, well, there is like, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I ended up looking it up and, uh, it, for some reason, I, it took me to the, to the, uh, one of your articles, it was a synopsis that you did of Hayek's, the, uh, the use of knowledge mm-hmm. in society. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. And that I, 
So, I mean, I'm sitting here today hosting the Libertarian Podcast right. as the chair for the county. And uh, I think that this is the guy that you got to blame. And yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, don't tell your wife. Yeah. <laughs> She's well, not here tonight, so yeah, it'll be all yeah, right. Yeah. That's a – yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one to stumble across too because, I mean, of all the things, right? That's yeah, not, all yeah, the things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that's – I think – I mean, if you – it's a fun game to play, right, when you're with libertarians. Ask them what's the thing that got them into libertarianism because everybody yeah. has this sort of different weird thing, right? That, but that's a – you know, that's a – that's a I'll, I'll take that one. That's a good one. I attended uh, a John Stossel event. That was my first uh, was my it, first yeah. thing. John Stossel came to Indianapolis in about 2008, 2009. Yeah. And uh, that was uh, that was my yeah. hook. My parents brought me. Yeah, all right. I'm, I'm a second generation. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How about you, Aaron? What, what got you? Uh, well, I was uh, Rush Limbaugh, neocon. <laughs> you know, uh, just bomb another country. It'll solve mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And then uh, Ron Paul came along, of course, like so many other libertarians. And uh, you know, I, I think I watched that "What If" speech he did in front of Congress, and uh, that kind of got the wheels turning. And then I found a lot of videos like Learn Liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, he was in a lot of the, I think, yeah. dating back to probably 2012 or so. Yeah, I would have been around 2011 was the first yeah. round I did. So, yeah, so been I started just, you know, binge watching anything mm-hmm. I could get my hands on. It's like on. meeting your yeah. libertarian father. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the way it goes. It's like there's a light bulb that goes yeah, off yeah. in and your head, I, and you're like, I need to watch and learn everything that is associated with this. And then I was this. like the uh, Jehovah's Witness of yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm trying to convert my whole family yeah. within the first nine months. Yeah, you're at the airport with a yeah. flower, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have, you heard of our, have you heard of our Lord and Savior, Ron Paul? <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not funny because... Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it was some serious hero worship. When I yeah. go back and look at my Facebook from like this on this date from 2011 to <laughs> 2012, I'm like... Oh man, I was annoying. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, you, but, and that's right. So that the irony of that, right, is that we had the Bernie Bros last time around, yeah. right? And it's a you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's like the I was watching yeah. all these young libertarians making fun of the Bernie Bros, and I'm going, "You guys, you know, <laughs> you, you're worse. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, you, you're just you're just mad because they're imitating kettle. you. That's all, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. They it's act- just that the Bernie Bros are better looking. That's the part. They're, they're you know, yeah. well, well, I think that most of us got to. <laughs> Most of us got so irritated whenever they stole the 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 revolution logo. Yeah, where, yeah, know, it yeah. was a love spell backwards. Yeah. It was all like, no, yeah. all right, you've crossed the line <laughs> with this one. <laughs> You're gonna have to answer for that yeah. to Ron Paul himself. So, right. speaking of uh, celebrities, yes. Who the hell is Jordan Peterson? Why, uh, why are you feuding with him? Uh, I'm not feuding with him. <laughs> uh, Lobster man. Lobster man. Yeah. Oh, so all right. So. So though, for those who don't, Jordan Peterson is a is they'll stop with the love. <laughs> Jordan Peterson is a is a Canadian psychology professor at the University of Toronto. A uh, a uh, and he first came to fame about eighteen months ago, I guess now, yeah. uh, when he sort of made a public uh, stink, for lack of a better word, about his refusal to call. Uh, students by their preferred gender pronoun, right? And 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 there was a Canadian law at the time that he thought forced him to do that, and it seems yeah, now he it, misunderstood the law. Yeah, it turns out it's not that way, right? Right. But but so he never you know, let the truth get in the way well, of good story, right. right? And so so he went very public with this, and 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 you know he became kind of a a hero of the anti PC crowd, and I think since then he has sort of taken that uh, and run with it in the sense that he he has. You know, taking his course lectures and put them up on put them up on YouTube, and he's an you know he's this sort of in, in, he's interesting and wide ranging thinker. He knows 
he, you know, he seems to know a lot about a lot of things. We were talking before we went on the air, right? Here's a guy who's a, you know, in a very secular age, a, a, a psychologist who actually knows the Bible really well, right? right? And yeah. sort of can draw on those stories in a way. And that's very, that's an unusual set of traits. Um, but I think he's also at the same time sort of, you know, uh, built up this, this kind of uh, worldview and story about society that, uh, that is very congenial to, to people on the right. Uh, very congenial in particular, I think, to young men on the right. Uh, Jordan Peterson is clearly not alt-right in any sense of that term. Right. But I think there are people who are alt-right who see in him some of his things, uh, you know, sort of intellectual justification for what they're right. doing. In particular, right, um, his kind of crusade against political correctness and postmodernism and neo whatever word he's using for all of those words for them, which, which I think, you know— that that is easy to become a hero by being willing to stand up and 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 sort of get, you know get mad at those people about those things. Whether he's right or not is a different question. So my my frustration, in, just in general terms, my, my sort of frustration is uh, first of all, I don't understand why why libertarians in particular think he's such a hero in any sense of the term. His, he's not certainly not himself. I don't think a libertarian. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call him one. I don't think I, th- I don't think you know the areas that I know best that he talks about. I don't think he actually uh, gets everything right. Suffice it to say. Um, and I think uh, if 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 he he appeals, I think to many people's desire to really poke at the academic intellectual left, which is it's. Fun, I get it, and and it's, sometimes they deserve it, but it's but of that an intellectual movement will not be made, right? right. That's not enough, and 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 he's not right all the time either. He doesn't get it right, um, and I think if you're just looking, you know, uh, there, there's other things. I mean, it's not all he does, and there's other things he has to say, and there's problems with that too, and and there's other things great. Just as a you know point, uh, his interview. With the Kathy Newman uh, person on on the right. UK or uh, Channel Four, Channel yeah. Four, yeah. Um, you know, if you watch it, he was terrific. He was a great uh, role model about keeping your cool and not letting someone get under your skin and sort of dealing with – I mean, the woman was – This is the one that's been a, about yeah. four or six weeks from now, uh, yeah, ago yeah, kind of yeah, came yeah, out yeah, and, yeah. and ran you to know, the top. Right. Yeah. And she, she was ridiculous and, 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 you know, he got much of it right there. But it was a sort of model of how to handle a, a kind of hostile, idiotic interviewer. It was great. It was. And, and, and you know, so no complaints there, okay? But I think in his more – you know, he, he – he, and he has, by the way, a really – you know, number of citations and publications as a sort of psychologist, and he's a in that area has some reputation as a scholar. But when you're going to start of you know kind of become a public intellectual, right? Other people are going to start looking at what you're talking about and say, right. "Hey, do you really know what you're talking about?" Yeah, absolutely. And we were talking about before the show. I I came across Jordan Peterson after his uh, Kathy Newman interview on Channel Four, where um, to me as a person, so I I didn't. I didn't go to college. I went to a trade school right after high school, and uh, but I I've always loved philosophy, and um, so I've been, I've read a lot of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. Mm. I've read a lot of uh, Carl Jung, and I've read um, yeah. on the religious side. I've read a lot of uh, you know John Calvin. People like so you were primed that, for and, him. Yeah, yeah so you were like yeah you were the, you were his perfect target. So <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. I like so I yeah. I started listening to him, and it, the thing about it was is that. I, I keep hearing from other different podcasters that don't know what they're talking about whenever it comes to uh, people like uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, mm-hmm. and they and they always say, you know, well, he he's a nihilist, right? Yeah. Well, he, he's not. That's kind of what pulled me towards Jordan Peterson was, you know, he he's coming out and he's saying, you know, um, he might have come up with the idea, 
but that you if you think that then you're totally missing the point and i i've liked that and then i've also been following his biblical lectures and you hit on that for a minute too and that i i do like those they he has an interesting perspective on a lot of it right yep and i think the question you know Again, as I said before, the areas I know best, are, you know, when he talks about sort of gender and women working and sort of uh, sexuality issues, those are the ones that I've written on and know the best. And I think there he's, you know, there's there's real problems with the kind of right. things he's arguing there. Uh, and I think in particular, as we were sort of talking a little bit before we went on the air, you know, he he has this whole kind of confidence about the importance of, of evolved dispositions that humans have, right? That's the whole lobster thing, right? We're, you know, dominance hierarchies because we share this serotonin-based, right, nervous system stuff with with lobsters back 800 million years ago, right? And it's turned into the lobster jokes, but but he's got a point there, right? I mean, we, you know, who we are as human beings is a product of evolution. And so we have to take seriously those kind of biological and evolved dispositions that we have. But taking them seriously doesn't mean we have to bow to them, right? I mean, the, the fact that, 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 you know, things about dominance hierarchies can explain certain human behavior. Doesn't justify that behavior. Doesn't mean that behavior right. is okay. Right? We can. We still... have. We have a. At this point, we have a moral compass right, and, exactly. and a conscience, and we can make decisions That's and we're exactly accountable right. for them. That's exactly right. Right. And we don't. Ha- you know, if, if 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 biology says men are supposed to be dominant, right? Okay, who cares? Right? If we don't, if we think that's wrong, right? We, we can ch- we can do things to push back against that. Granted, it might be hard if we're evolved to behave in certain kinds of ways and we're sort of asking ourselves to think differently. But we do that all the time. And as I was saying, you know, before we went on, um, it, we might have an evolved disposition towards living in small socialistic, altruistic groups, right? But that doesn't mean we have to be socialists in the, in the real world. It's not going to work for all kinds of reasons. Just because we have these evolved dispositions doesn't mean we have to give in to them. Um, it doesn't mean that, 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 that they can be used to justify behavior. It may be. For, I mean, the fact that men, perhaps, perhaps men, you know, uh, men uh, have this sort of drive for dominance doesn't justify rape, right? I mean, it just doesn't, and and that's right. um, that's and again, let me be clear. I'm not saying Peterson does is justifying it, but you know, he says some things where you kind of go, "Whoa, what do you, you know, what exactly are you saying there?" Um, in in that sort of ballpark of ideas, I right? Think, I think we found our clickbait title. <laughs> there you go. Did he just find me? But you're. Uh... I'm just. I'm just so. I guess every. You know. You well. If you saw Facebook today, right? I brought. You know. I was kind of preparing for this for for our conversation and, and watching some Peterson videos and reading some stuff. And I posted something on Facebook, and man, zoom out come the Peterson right people. Oh right? yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you do you that. Say the wrong thing and whammo, right? So you're listening to the Ball Soccer Liberty podcast. We are syndicated on the weekends on Indiana Talks. Uh, we are on iTunes, YouTube, Facebook. So any one of those channels, if you're watching us there, you like what you're seeing, you can uh, you subscribe on the other platforms. We're on Stitcher. We're everywhere. BossHogLiberty.com. Uh, you're listening to Jeremiah Morrill, Dakota Davis, Aaron Ewart, and Steve Horwitz. Uh, so this uh, George, uh, Justin Peterson thing, George, is he a George, – Jordan George Peterson, I'm sorry. Is he uh, is he here to stay or is he like going to be a six-week flash in the pan yeah. and, and we're all going to forget about him? It's, it's kind of crazy. I mean he's – it, it, like you said, it's been about 18 months, and I think that back then everybody kind of thought he was gonna he was done, right? Like he he was gonna be done for. But he's got this book come out, and then as I was preparing for the show, I, I kind of just started looking up different facts about him, and I guess he's pulling in over fifty one thousand yep. dollars a month just on his Patreon account. Yep. Like that is that's huge. Yep. 
this is so it's a that's a great question. So here's a couple things. I'll just throw out a couple things. I, As a I podcaster, think, that's a hell of a number to hear too. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like, man, uh, we and I could split fifty grand a month to go yeah. if we were just better at what we did. Yeah, you could you could upgrade from the bells. That's right. Um, I, I think. Uh, look, we have Hennessy in here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that he. I I don't think he has sort of really long run staying power doing what he's doing, but he may last longer than people think because I think. I think that there's a market for what the kind of thing he's doing and other people, you know, Ben Shapiro, who's an, you know, basically an idiot, but sort of doing the same shtick, right? That, that sort of these independent. Are, are you public, okay, Dakota? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> these, 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 I, I'm a huge fan of yeah, Shapiro. <laughs> and it's sort of these independent public intellectuals, I think, is the best way to think about it, right? Yeah, that is and, a great way to put and, it. And, and I think that, that what people are frustrated with academics, they're frustrated with the media. So these folks who have able, been able – and I think that's why the Patreon thing is particularly cool here. I mean Peterson is an academic, but he made his name by, by stabbing his own people in the back, right, with, with all this anti-PC stuff. And so the fact that you can do Patreon and do these other kinds of you know, independent ways of making a living, uh, speaking tours or whatever, doing this is really interesting. And so – and then put on top of that the, you know, the social media and stuff where you can get those ideas out really quickly. And the free Canadian healthcare. And, well, right. I mean, and, come on. Uh, and, and all what all that means is is that you're gonna I think you're gonna see more of these kind of people popping up like this who who who, you know, uh, can take advantage of that consolation. And the thing about Peterson, he's a very good speaker, right? And he's got a good interesting style and he knows how to use social media. And so he's you know, he's he's not he's he's clever in those and I mean that genuinely. He's clever in those ways. So I think he's he's not gonna go away anytime soon, but I don't think he's gonna I don't think he's going to – the question is in 25 years are people going to be reading Jordan Peterson right. looking for yeah. you know, wisdom? No. But but in, in five years, is, is he still going to be doing the lecture circuit? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think it so, says a lot to the fact that there's a lot of broken young men in this country. Well, yeah, and I they're looking so. for someone. Yeah, I think – They're looking yeah, for advice I, on I, how to run their life. I do think, and yes, so, that's a much bigger conversation. But I do right. think there's something to that. I do think that for – of us men sitting around the table having this conversation, which is, makes it even more interesting. Um, but yeah, I do think there's a sense in which um, there are more young men these days who are lost and who are not clear on what it is they're supposed to do and how mm-hmm. they're supposed to be. And, and and Peterson, again, has a point in saying that shifting gender norms have made that more confusing for young men, right? right. What, how, do, how, do, how do you navigate to a world in which, you know, uh, uh, women's roles have changed, uh, and now with Me Too, you know what? What are the expectations there? Those are all the legitimate kinds of questions to raise, and legitimate ways in which men have to figure stuff out. But they got to figure it out, and I'm not sure Peterson has the answers. But I do no, think he's yeah. he's at, he's pointing to he, he's tapped into something that's quite that's quite real, right? Yeah. So another thing that we wanted to get into tonight was the uh, was some real, real world application of, of this theory because I'm I, I, I'm like the world's least red libertarian or the worst red libertarian, uh, but practical stuff and practical mm-hmm. application is what hits home for me. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to be somewhat similar. Um, and there's this talk of uh, price gouging that we've mm-hmm. talked about in episode 19. We kind of got into it a little bit, and I embraced it and kind of pitched it to Sean Rao, and he said, I don't know if I believe that or not. Uh, but the the thought is that you know price gouging is not immoral. It's actually the it's the allocation of resources. Right. Uh, so it, you know it's during a hurricane, if somebody yeah. if they, you know all of a sudden you know last summer late summer we had these hurricanes in Texas. Yep. Nobody had any water, so somebody like Aaron loads up his pickup truck and goes down with four pallets of water and sells them at a, at a you know egregious I've, profit. Yeah, I've actually done that before, but we gave them away. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
which, you know, which, evil, which is fine too. Evil libertarians, too, yeah. you know. But <laughs> but if you do that, then the, the the reason why the price gouging view is that it's it's moral or it's right is because it's an allocation of resources. People don't store it; they don't hoard it. Right. Right. There's a couple things going on. So a couple things here. First, um, it's important I think to understand that that term price gouging has no objective economic content to it. Right. It, it, it's a ter- it's a term of critique that people your price gouging is you're charging a price I think is too high. Right. That's what it means. And so I've been trying really hard to, to, to not use even not, you know, sometimes price gouging. But what I really like to say is let's talk about the economics of emergency pricing, because that's what we're really concerned about here. Right? How do we price things in an emergency? Right. And so I think you've got one of the two points there, Jeremiah. One is when 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 you allow people to charge the market price, you know, ten dollars for a bag of ice or whatever, you know, for for six pack of water, whatever it is. Right. The first thing that happens in the immediate run is it forces people to make the difficult decisions about how to use that resource. Do I really need to give my dog a bath if water is $10, $10 a bottle? No, I'm going to use it for the really important stuff. And that's so, – so think of it this way. We have in, – in, in, in an emergency like this, we have a problem. We have lots of people who want these important goods. And we don't then we don't have enough of them to go around. And so the question is, how do we get more of these goods into the hands of the people who really need them? That's the problem to solve, Okay. One way to solve that problem is to make sure that the that the supply we do have gets used wisely. So high price forces people to make the difficult decisions, use it for the most important things. But but the second part I think is actually perhaps even more important, which is what that high price does is it signals people like Aaron to say, you got a truck, go to your Walmart, you know, 200 miles away, load up on water, drive it over here because that price is like a my friend Art Cardin would say is a signal flare, right? It's 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 sending out this huge signal that says um, not only it, telling, informing you of this opportunity, but incentivizing you to take advantage of it. So get in your truck, get your water, get down there, start selling the water. And so what happens over time is that high price encourages people to come in with supplies of the good. That increases the supply. That begins to drive the price back down. And that begins to solve the problem by getting more of the resource in, in, into more yeah, people's hands. absolutely. We talked a little bit about this uh, on our Sean Rao episode, the very yeah. first one that he came on. Which uh, was one of the most downloaded episodes Episode 19, we had. Yeah. So it was a it was a good one. But I I mentioned in our little planning chat that this is a great opportunity because he just did a much better job of explaining that than what we did on episode nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's you know, it, uh, hey, look, I went on live CNN with the right after this the Attorney General of Florida and did it. So if I can do it there, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. So yeah, but, as I'm an Uber driver, right? And yeah, the same thing happens yeah. as an Uber driver where there's a surge. It's the same thing as surge yes, pricing. You exactly. send up that signal flare you're right. talking about. Right. And, and the map literally goes red and says, hey, you know, there's a concert that just let out at Klipsch Music Center in Fishers, Indiana. Yeah, right. We need drivers desperately. So now we're right. paying three times the normal right. rate for drivers up there. That's right. exactly what's happening right. in that case. And you're sitting at home watching TV and now suddenly go, oh, well, oh, it's my worth my go. time. Right. Exactly. Right. So that's that's yes. Same well, same process. What do you think the repercussions would be if the state ended up? implementing price caps well most states have them or at least what they do is they say you know report someone who's charging you know an outrageous right. price well you, you exacerbate the shortages right i mean what you do is you discourage people from bringing in new supplies because it's not worth it to jump in yeah. your truck and come if you can't get at least a you know a certain price for it right so now you're thirsty congratulations right, right. well there's a famous story that my my friend mike munger tells and it's a true story of north carolina after one of the hurricanes where where there was a big truck full of ice they were selling ice but at a really high price the people people waiting in line and they call the cops and the cops come and and sort of charge them with you know violating the consumer protection laws or whatever and the cops take the ice and dump the ice out 
onto the ground. Now, nobody has ice. Right. Well, the interesting question is, what do you think the crowd waiting in line for the ice did, right? Your first thing is, is to assume that they would be all pissed off that they plotted, right? <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, what does that mean, right? That, yeah. uh, you know, so so it's, again, so as we think about these, these things, right? What, so if we go back to, the, you know, what if, we, if we put the cap on, right, we, we then, and notice, right, if you put the price control on, you don't get rid of competition. Now the competition just shifts from, from willingness to pay to do you know someone who has ice? Are you more likely to now club someone over the head and take their ice? Because, right, I mean, you know, uh, uh, all, all kinds of other ways of allocating resources. And when I teach this to my intro students, right, one of the things I say is you can allocate resources in a bunch of different ways. You can allocate by price. You can do it by random. You can first come, first serve. All of those, except for price, have one big disadvantage to them, which is they, they do nothing to help encourage new supply. Like it's, it's as if there's this big thing of ice in the middle of the room, and we just got to decide how to divide it up. What nobody's thinking about is how do we get another big bottle of ice into the middle of the room? If yep. you let prices rise, allocate, allocation by price allows you to solve that problem, allows you to, exactly. to, to encourage, encourage production. My day job is a salesman. So I, I deal in markets all the time. It's steel. Yeah. So I'm selling steel. I'm always searching for the price. I'm A part of me is setting the market, and a part yeah. of me is reacting to the market. Yep. Yep. If I decide that steel needs to be 10% higher, then I charge 10% higher, then I don't sell anything. Right. And I'm like, well, damn, that didn't work. Right. So then i got to go searching for what the new price right. and is. You just and it changes exact, every day. Exact right word, which is searching, right? That's what we – price searchers, right? You're trying to discover. And that's a very Hayekian kind of way of thinking about it, right? Which is you're trying to discover where that price-quantity combination is that actually enables you to – to make, and you don't know ahead of time, right? What, the, I have, the I have cool, no idea. The cool part, right, is you know we draw those demand and supply curves up in the blackboard, and we're pretending, right, as if we know. But in the real world, right, producers don't know what their demand curves and supply curves look like. That's what no. they're trying to figure out, right? And, no. yeah. and, and you know, I, I deal. You know, I may have four or five different competitors. The thing that retards it, and this is, uh, you know, that people don't know that this happens in a lot of places, but I don't compete in an entirely free market because the government plays. Yeah. I because on I, I sell government jobs. And the government says, well, on this job, you're going to have 10% as a disadvantaged business. Right. So I may be 10% cheaper or 15% cheaper, but the contractor has to use right. a disadvantaged business yep. who may be you know, that 15 or 20% higher than me, yep. but he's going to use his number. Yeah, yeah. So the true market price doesn't always win right. when yep. the government gets involved. Yep. Right, right. And, and again, that's that. And and that becomes right, that's source of all other kinds of problems too. We, right. We can talk about. But yeah, that, so that's what, like the I guess with my day job, markets are always you know the solution. I always yeah. look at things through that lens. Yep. And the more pure a market is, the better it behaves, and the more it it, it makes sense. Right. And everybody can operate properly. And so here's here's the thing to think about, right? That that one of the things you know we we people on the left all the time talking about privilege this and privilege that. Well, one of the great things about really free markets is is that. No one, at least in the context of that market, is privileged. When we think about what, what are, you know, monopolists, we think about the taxi cabs and Uber, right? What are the taxi cabs? They have a privilege, which is they have this monopoly license, right? And they, and the ability to go to the local, you know, folks and shut out Uber or whatever the case may be, right? I'm very, by the way, love living in Indy, which is a terrific Uber city. It's one of the best, actually, oh, Uber yeah. cities I've ever lived in uh, or been around. So, but anyway, so, so you know, th- those notions of monopoly privilege or, or protection from the state and all the ways that we're talking about, right? If we want to talk about privilege, let's talk about that, too, because those are ways in which some people benefit by extracting from other people rather than through the mutual benefit of, of genuine trade. Yep. That, yeah. You just, if, 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 that point was a nail. You were a hammer. Was, <laughs> I, I have nothing more to add to that. That was, that was great. 
So the other the other big thing that I wanted to do to apply something, and this is a, yeah. a theme that we've had in our in our local area, Henry County, Indiana, has been like I, I've described to Dakota lately that like wind farms and the proposal yeah. of building industrial wind farms is has turned into like abortion, like literally like. It is the it most divisive issue yeah. in our community for the last three to four years. It has, and it's been really sad. It's just yeah. been a, a horrible thing to witness because, uh, like we were talking about uh, what happened last week, Cade being told that he's not a real farmer, and that's yeah. because he supports uh, wind energy. Right. Like it, it's, it, People are attacking each other from all over the place. Um, but, but the one thing that we wanted to talk about was uh, um, one of the things that uh, our – that our county council has control over, and that is that is the tax abatements that go yeah. into the into the wind farms, yeah. and what those tax abatements and what those subsidies actually do whenever it comes to sustainable energy. Yeah. Because as a person who works in the in the uh, electrical field, I I think it's really interesting. However, they're not they're not efficient enough. Right. That's right. Right. So so one thing we can play with here is sustainable. Right. So the irony is is that that we have these ways of producing what we believe is sustainable energy that are not economically sustainable. Right. Right. And so why, why do you need the tax abatements? Why do you need the subsidies? Because it's not, it's not yet, at least anyway, profitable to, to wind energy isn't sufficiently profitable, right, to pay for itself. So the only way you're going to get people to, to, to do this is to, is to subsidize them somehow, right? So at this point, the industry is set up in a way, to give general background, uh, the federal government says that the energy uh, utilities must provide a certain amount of clean energy. Yep. So if it might be 5% or 10% or depending upon you're at, there's a certain uh, certain bogey they have to hit. Mm-hmm. So they're forced, they're creating a demand. Yes. Right. So they have to buy a certain amount of hydro or solar or, or, or wind power. Right. Uh, and then the governments will give a benefit to somebody to bring in a factory to build the turbines or to right. build the, you know, to build all of the materials that go into building this thing. Right. And then you have a local community that's trying to attract one that says, hey, you're going to put in a $300 million investment in our community. We're going to give you – in Indiana, we have property taxes. Right. Uh, so we have – you know, it, it would be taxed at up to 3% of the value. So the county or the community will say, I'm going to give you 10 years of no, of tax no taxes. Yeah. Uh, so at every level, we find ourselves giving this benefit yeah, or this right. discount to make this – right. Compete. Right, right. And, and so, you know, libertarians might say, okay, great, you know, you're not taxing them, that's good. Except the problem here is, right, well, no, you're, you're now, you know, you've unleveled the playing field in a way that ends up uh, granting a privilege to these, to these firms, right? Whereas the guy that has, you know, Rob right. Davis has Spiceland Wood Products right. in, in, in Spiceland, Indiana, and he's been there for 20 years, right. and, and you're not, not offering him anything. That's right. That's right. So, right. And, 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 so you have this sort of combination of, well, we're going to mandate minimum amounts of clean energy, right, even though it may or may not be profitable. And, and by the way, I mean, solar is getting better than it used to be. So it's almost sustainable, economically sustainable. So we're going to do that. And then to make sure that happens, we're going to have to give the subsidies or abatements. We're going to do the other kind of things. And so what you also end up doing here, of course, is now you've got all these companies who are competing not to necessarily provide the best wind power, but to be able to convince the county legislature and the state legislature to favor them over the other ones who might build the, you know, build the Build the build the turbines, or you know, and all that too. And I think, I mean, I suspect where I was in New York had some of this debate too. But part of the debate is, you know, do these do the turbines themselves? They got to go in people's property. Are they ugly? Do they make noise? Do they chop? You know, the birds flying. I mean, there's all these sort of 
what economists would call externality issues here uh, about them that and, and it's not in my backyard it's all that kind of stuff too right. so uh, well, yeah so you right. you're going you're being in northern new york that's what I, i'm yeah. very familiar with st lawrence county new york you've yeah. got one of the largest hydroelectric dams yeah. in north america right there yeah uh, and we all want power. Like we like we to run the studio. We have two massive lights that are on us. We've got computers. We've got you know we have to have electricity to to live our modern lives. Mm-hmm. To put this show out. To you know to keep our food cold. Everything yeah, we yeah. do, we 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 need power. Um, so it could be coal, which yeah. is dirty and nasty. It could but be cheap. hydro, but cheap. It could be hydroelectric, <laughs> which right. is Trump, cheap. But then, then but then it has environmental right. problems where we've right. got you know we right. create a lake where there used to be a river. Right. Um, or we have these windmills that right. people cry you know cry right. about for you know. There are all kinds of different logical reasons right. why you can be opposed and why you're in right. favor, and I understand them. And there's and there's trade offs with all these, right? There's all of them have costs and benefits. And the problem is, how do we best assess those? And I think what economists say is that's what markets are for, right? Is trying to help us figure out uh, the, the the economic efficiency question. Is it worth it to do this, that, or the other? And and it may be that even you know uh, uh, even if we have this kind of commitment to clean energy, we're use the resources. It, it might be true that using cleaner energy saves us certain, you know, has certain savings in terms of pollution, but is using up resources in other kinds of ways. Why is we necessarily favor one over the other? I mean, if you know, you can say, right, there's a marginal impact on pollution, but at the same time, if we're using up all these financial resources to support this thing that can't sustain itself economically, those are things that future generations don't have either, right? That right. Because we've taken those resources from them to use for these subsidies today. And so those are the, I mean, you know, what, however one comes down on that, we have to at least recognize that those are the those are the trade-offs in play. So another local issue that we've run across here in, in this community and in central Indiana, uh, Muncie, obviously, you're yeah. familiar with Muncie. Yeah. Uh, we've transitioned from this manufacturing base yeah. where General Motors isn't here anymore. So uh, we've lost, you know, we've got schools that are in deep trouble. We've got cities that are larger than they probably should be. And they're yep. still trying to des- deliver services like it's 1970 instead of 20, right. 2018 right. or 2017, whatever the current year is, 2018. Um, you've got downtowns that are decaying. And then people will say, well, we need to save these buildings. We need to save this business that's there. Yeah. What What should... You know, a community that used to be 70,000 people that's right. gone to 50,000. What, you know, what are these leaders supposed to be doing? Yeah. I mean, one, you have to recognize reality. You cannot you cannot preserve the town that was because it's just not anymore. Uh, I think the other thing we've, we know, and I have a colleague at Ball State who does this work with my colleague Mike Hicks in the Center for Business and Economic Research, the sort of economic development things that people do, right, these big economic development plans just don't work. They don't work for small towns. They're just not going to save small towns in Indiana or anywhere else. If you want to save those towns, you have to make the towns good places to live. How do you do that? Good schools, good roads, good public safety. It's I mean, the that's, absolute basic. Right. That's it. That's it. And and you know, if you want people, you know, we we've been joking around. You, know, you were talking about the school systems and the problem Muncie schools had. We were talking about all the potholes and roads in Indiana and Michigan, right? And and we can talk all day about the problems with the police, presumably. Um, but but even just the first two, right? You know, if you can't get if you can't get those right, if you can't make sort of uh, roads and parks in a livable place, if you can't uh, per, you know uh, have have some kind of school system, and again, you know, libertarians. Can certainly say it doesn't have to be a public school system. If you want to, you know, if you think the way to save your town is to have school competition, you know, privatize your school system, great, do it. But but what pe- what residents care about is not so much the delivery mechanism, but the delivery 
product. It has so, to exist. You don't right. care the road you're driving on. You don't right. care if the city owns it, the county owns right. it, or if it's but Steve Horwitz's road. My road's right. I just yeah. need a road to drive Yeah, on. that's right. That's right. And one without giant potholes. Same with the schools. Are the schools good? That's what parents ultimately care about. I mean, you know, obviously if it's going to cost $100,000, but but can, can you, you know, can, are the schools good? Is my neighborhood safe? Uh, can I can I get to places? Right? And, and you know, you're not going to save your small town by, by attracting Amazon. You're not going to save your yeah. small town by, by, frankly, attracting any sort of real manufacturing anymore. The way you're, you're going to do it is by making it a good place to live. If you make it a good place to live and people come, then the restaurants and the other things, you know, will, will follow. I've been, I mean, frankly, uh, you know, Muncie has its problems, but there's a couple of spots in Muncie where stuff's happening, right? There there's are that, some very nice, that downtown Muncie. And, is, yeah. is, is pretty nice. And I drive on, on uh, what's in the, the uh, Kil- on Kilgore, there's that new mixed use thing that's going up on Kilgore. That's like, like what is it, a little piece of Brooklyn like landed in Muncie here, right? Um, so there's things happening there, and I think that that's uh, you know, uh, it's that shift. That shift is going to happen. Uh, the hardest part is is anytime you have economic change, how do you persuade the people? And there are people who are harmed by economic change. How do you persuade them that in the long run? This is going to that they will benefit from this, right? I mean, we've, right. we've been talking about the, the farmers and stuff, right? I mean, you know, hundred years ago, forty percent of Americans were involved in agriculture. Today, it's two percent, right? You know, somehow those people who used to be farmers, right, had to be persuaded that it was okay to no longer be farmers, even though in the sometimes in the short run that was very painful. But over time, we're all better off for that having made that transition. Tony Roach is uh, watching this live, and he was. Uh, he says he was a, a student of uh, Cecil Bohannon's in 1980. Yeah, Cecil's been State. there. Cecil's been there a while. And he says the transition <laughs> from manufacturing base to a service base is working out exactly as expected. <laughs> uh, and it's it's just the reality, though. But you, you've you know we we've seen you know Muncie Muncie Indiana had had two UAW plants. Yep. Uh, I think Anderson had two to three. Newcastle had had a, the world's oldest uh, auto factory. Uh, in Chrysler, yeah, right, which became right. Metaldine, and it's gone now. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and 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 look, two things. I mean, they're not coming back. And interestingly, it's not because American manufacturing has declined in the sense of manufacturing output. We're just really, really good at it. We don't need as many people right. as as we as we did before. So those jobs, in, in terms of jobs, those aren't coming back. And I think the other part of this too is um, is how you know uh, in a. In a world in which we see this dynamic change all the time, the best thing we can do for people is make sure that they have a, a that their education is such that they have a set of skills that's sufficiently flexible, or have some set of skills that are never going to go away. You're an electrician; you're never going to hurt for work, right? right? Yeah. You're never going to hurt for people. Going to have to put power somewhere, and you're, you're going to have right. Yeah. And and I and you know I tell students all the time who are struggling. I said, don't think you have to be in college, right, to make a to make have a good make a good living and have a happy life. There's plenty of other things you can do that that are you know satisfying, that are good work, and that will that will pay reasonably well. Um, uh, because you know the, the, there will always be a need for electricians and plumbers and HVAC and computer tech and all the rest, right? And so yep. so that's you know if you want to start thinking about where the job's going to be, how, how do you have the skills to sort of adjust on the fly? Um, it's great to have tech skills and want to be a coder or whatever, but even short of that, right? Just thinking about what what is it that will always be there? Sometimes it's just easier for community to grow when it's on virgin ground too. You live in Fishers, Indiana, which yeah. in 1990 had 2,000 people. Yeah, right, yeah. There's a hundred thousand people yeah, in Fishers yeah. now, and Delaware County has gone the opposite way, where yeah. you know Muncie's gone from 70,000 to 50,000. Well, that's right, and I do think one of the trends we're we're, we're going to see an increased trend towards whoops, towards density and urbanization. I think younger people really do want to live in those in those environments, right? I mean, Fishers is not you know Fishers is 
suburban in a way that isn't, you know, different from, say, a Brooklyn or a whatever. But but still, right, sort of that living in those places in, in sort of walkable space or in dense space is, I think, going to become more and more popular. So you can just look at Hamilton County as right. a, on the yeah. whole. Yeah. It, you know, it's the it, it, fastest growing county in the state of Indiana. Yeah. It's the northern suburb of Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, over here, yeah, it's, it's, it's the, you know, it's, 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 it's you get a, yeah. an economy that was based on yeah. you know, either agricultural or was automotive. Mm-hmm. And now it's, right. it, it's and, it, they're becoming bedroom communities at best. Right. Where you're and, traveling to work. Right. And the key here always is, you know, what kind of people you're bringing in? Are they coming in with, economists would say, are they coming in with human capital, with skills and, and so on? That's what's going to make these places livable. And they're only going to come, going back to the earlier stuff, if you have a place that's got, you know, that's got schools and sort of parks and roads that work and is safe. That's if you provide the basics. The other the markets and everybody else can do all the other stuff, right? However, you're providing those basics, just make sure they're there. So, do you think like the addition of you know Ivy Tech's got all these regional campuses? Yeah. Do you think that's an important part of, of retooling or resetting <laughs> these communities up? Where uh, Rushville, Newcastle, Muncie, yeah. they've all got these Ivy Tech yeah. campuses. It, it can be right. I mean, I think it's th- that's one way in which people can 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 you know retrain uh, and and sort of get a new set of skills. Uh, the problem, but the public policy problem, of course, is we just don't know what those skills are, right? So we can't say, well, we need to put everyone in the training programs to code this language. No, we just don't know, right? So it's, again, these kind of general sets of skills, whether they're more trade skills or whether they're, you know, more more tech or communication, whatever it might be, right? But thinking in terms of how do I how do I uh, acquire a set of human capital that leaves my options open because I don't think we're going to, you know – we're the, the days of – and I'm not sure, by the way, that these days ever existed the way myth suggests. But certainly the day the, – there's no not going to be those days of 30 years with the same company anymore if it was ever true. But yep. but now I think people are just going to move around more and you have to have that sort of flexibility yep. to do. And I, actually, I heard uh, – Ben Shapiro talked about that in his uh, in his show last week. He was talking about, you know, you, people don't stay in the same job yeah. for 30 years anymore. It's just not yeah. – it's not as feasible. We like to think that we're going to. But it, people are moving around a, a lot more than what than what yeah. we were. You don't work in the factory and you make and make thirty dollars an right. hour at nineteen seventies inflation. Right. And look <laughs> and look at how many people. I mean, you're an Uber driver, right? Look at how many people right. are are sort of engaged in the kind of independent contracting work too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really it's really interesting. I I think that I I don't think that we are in a bad spot in America as far as jobs go, because it, we see all the time. Like I don't know if you see it all the time, but you know, everybody making the claim that in in fifteen years we're going to need a universal basic income because yeah. robots yeah. are going to no, take all not. our jobs. No, I'm not worried about uh, that. No, not worried about. I, that. I think that that's that's I'm, a far fetched theory. Right. Are you anti universal basic income as a libertarian? I, um, it, this is the uh, the theory so, that it, yeah, right. it, it, that. Uh, Basically, we just need to give a you know everybody needs a thirty thousand dollar a year uh, yeah. stipulation from the government just to just to uh, basic yeah. uh, to start you so, out. So there's Welfare a bunch of different everybody. right. There's different different base, different versions of this, right? I mean, for me, if if and it's a huge if if you could convince me that we would replace the entire existing welfare structure yep. with with uh, you know an, an annual cash grant either to everyone or people below a certain income, right, and wipe out the I would take that as a Improvement over the status quo, right? Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that that trade is unlikely to happen, right? I mean, the the, the political forces are unlikely it's an to and resist. Plus. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's you know to to give up what you right. It's an and plus. That's right. And and that's a that's a disaster, right? So so you know uh, in in the real world of sort of actual existing political incentives, um, yeah, no, it, it's it's hard to imagine a scenario under which that's going to be an improvement. But but in theory, if we could if we could wipe out the existing structure and replace it with 
that kind of annual cash grant. Again, there's variations on how you would do that. Well, there, have, yeah. there have been estimates that, that, that say, you know, um, if we got rid of all of the bureaucracy that surrounds yep. uh, welfare, then all of the families that are on it, every family of four that is on welfare should be able to receive, what was it, like 70 60, or 80,000? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, but the interesting, and that's true, and that suggests a question, which is who are the real beneficiaries of the welfare state? Yeah, that, right. that's it's been not the question a, for a long right. time. And that's yeah, it's a, a, right, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's right. where I it's see the, the, the middle, value. It's middle in class it, bureaucrats you know? who have benefited the most from it, not, not poor families. It's the Absolutely. administrators. Yeah. And the politicians yeah, who right. give it who, out. That's right, who have that leverage, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, to know that the welfare state is not going to go away, you can just see the public outcry that's come out in the last two weeks since the Trump administration uh, oh. came well, out to their plan. I mean, to send everybody hello fresh. To, yeah. To, yeah, to sell, to send them uh, boxes of food yeah. instead of letting them uh, choose on their own. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's been crazy. And and it was funny because right at, right after he announced that, one of my libertarian friends on my Facebook page was like, "I can see why a lot of Democrats are really going to support this," and I was like. No. <laughs> yeah, no. This and and it's another. It's a red and blue flip, right? Because because you know the the for years Republicans, conservatives, libertarians have argued, no, we ain't gonna give people cash grants, right? We don't want to give them stuff. We give them cash grants. That's more efficient, and and it's and it's true, right? And 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 sort of you know Democrats, liberals, have said, central no, no. planning, right? Democrats, liberals have said, no, no, we don't want to do that. They'll you know we we want to give them you know particulars. And now Trump says, all right, we're just going to give them a bo- these boxes of food. Like, no, we can't. You know, yeah, how lefties horrible can't say, can't do that. And the conservatives are saying, yeah, give them boxes of food. Like, wait, what? That's you, know, what the, my, you guys just flipped again, right? Stop. Yeah, my, my <laughs> thing was if if uh, Michelle Obama had made this a part of her Make America Healthy plan, like, would you have had a problem right, with that's it? Right. <laughs> that's an excellent How is question. this any different than whenever the federal government took over school lunches from the local right, school boards? Right. Like, that, it, yeah. ah, it's whatever. Excellent oh man, question. we covered a lot more in this episode than what we had planned on the show notes. And I have one more question yes. for you: as uh, you have a your act, your uh, undergrad degree is is in economics and philosophy, yep. right? Yeah, double major. Yep. So I I mentioned who I've read in philosophers. Yeah. Who are who are your most influential ones? Uh, well, uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, when I was, you know, this is funny given my Facebook post from earlier this afternoon. <laughs> but certainly, when I was in high school, I read Rand. I read Ayn Rand, and I yeah. was, I went through a you know through a period right where where that was that was the thing. Um, uh, but you know, in terms of in terms of, I don't think so much in terms of philosophers anymore. There's books I love. Michael Michael Polanyi, who's actually a chemist but a philosopher too. His book Personal Knowledge is a wonderful uh, wonderful piece of philosophy. You know, and and if you think of people like Hayek, who is one of my favorite economists, who's also you know writes sort right. of philosophically, and, and, those and a lot too. of times those go hand in yeah. hand. Yeah. So so you know, I, I'm there's there's I don't I t- these days I tend to think in terms of who are my favorite sort of thinkers as opposed to my favorite philosophers. Uh, uh, so that's a it's a hard question for me for me to for me to answer, uh, and and the answer to, to some degree has changed over over the course of my life. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure it'll change with me too. Yeah. I just had to. I had to put that no. in there. All right. Well, very good. Well, we're getting to that part of the show where we talk about final thoughts. Uh, is there anything, Steve, that we've missed that you wanted to talk about, or that you know, a, um, a way to follow you, and any of any yeah, of that so, that we so, need to, yeah, uh, so, people need to be checking so, into? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, keeping tabs on all things Horowitz. Uh, the best way is to follow me on Facebook. I have a regular personal page. I have a public figure page. 
The personal pay, I'm at just about 5000 on the... Pers- I think you had to abort somebody for me to add. I, I literally <laughs> couldn't, add, couldn't comment on anything. Right, right. Well, that's because I have it set. The only way you can comment is if, you've been, uh, if you're a friend. That's yeah. the only way I can control yeah. craziness it, in my comments. If you right. want to get on some good debates, then you need to yeah. get on the right. Horowitz page. Right. So you can, at the very least, you can follow me. Uh, if, if, you, you know, if, you're, if you're watching tonight um, and you want to send me a friend request, send me a, send me a message, too, and say, hey, I heard you on Boss Hog of Liberty, and I'm... That I'll try to bump you to the top of the top of the list if I if I can because <laughs> there's like 200 people waiting. Uh, so following me on Facebook <laughs> is a good idea. You can follow the public figure page too. I, I don't update it. It's mostly professional stuff. I don't update it as much. Um, other places you can find me: uh, Bleeding Heart Libertarians. Uh, I still blog there. Not a, not a lot recently. For, again, because of the health health issues. Um, I am from time to time blogging at uh, the Cato Institute's libertarianism.org, which is another great resource, by the way, we haven't mentioned that one. There all yeah, kinds of stuff is, they there. They are great. Um, uh, I, and, and I still do blog at coordinationproblem.org, which is the Austrian economist site. So those are all, those are the, I think, kind of the best ways to, to, to follow me. Again, Facebook's the best, even if you're not, you know, if you follow me but not a friend, you can still follow uh, Eat some popcorn and observe from the sideline, even if you can't uh, jump into the mosh pit. <laughs> now you keep saying uh, Austrian economics. That means you're the ones that don't believe in throwing rocks through windows to right, stimulate the economy. Yeah. Well, that's that's like the nice version of of what people often say. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yes, yes, right, we can do if you want. We do a whole other show on that sometime. That, some, yeah. We, we yeah. will uh, we'll mark it down. We'll yeah. have you back for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here, Steve. Oh, my pleasure, guys. It's been great. It's awesome. A, well, we'll, we'll keep really bantering. We all we'll have final thoughts. I'm sure Aaron has something saved up for us over there. Oh no! You, you drive around and sell stuff all day. You got uh, you don't have a libertarian soapbox. Oh no, no! I just am glad to get back. You know, into podcasting. Went it, through it's a, been a minute since you've been on I any weird libertarian stuff. Well, yeah, you've had some life changes. Well, yeah. I mean, when when podcasts are brought up in court as a reason for divorce, I, I kind of <laughs> <laughs> I had to cool it there for a little while. I had to, not, I had to relax. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't feel comfortable adding like <laughs> kerosene to that fire. So. We're glad that's all behind you. Are, and you're are you in a, now? Are you any closer to moving to Newcastle? Um, Metamora is closer, I guess. You know, but we're still an hour away. Like I said, you know, Metamora. You could fix Martinsville's, the. You could fix the, an hour. Yeah. <laughs> if you lived here, you you could come over and fix the little soft spot I have in front of my oven. Yeah, I know. You and Jeremiah I've are always hiring My me. entire kitchen needs to be done. Sarah, uh, we're getting married <laughs> in July, and I think you're you, that that's every the first time, project Sarah has for me is redoing that kitchen. Every floor. time he has a party or me, you know, invites us over for dinner, I end up in his crawl space or his attic, and, <laughs> <laughs> and tricks me into doing some kind of project. He for he's him. really good at it, and and the way it he sells. does it. The, the way he does it is, it is he's sneaky, right? Because yeah. he, he's like, hey, you have anything going on on Saturday? And, you know, your first thought is, well, no, I can go over there, you know, drink a beer or whatever. And then so you say, no, I think I'm good. And then he goes, okay, good. I have an outlet that needs installed. Yeah. <laughs> or, All it's going to take is just getting in my crawl space, right. Steve, which Tom, is full of spiders. Tom Sawyer is like my spirit animal. The, the yeah. whitewashing, the fence, yeah. I learned yeah. that early. If you need something done around the house, you make it fun and you make it a party and everybody yeah, comes right, over and hangs right. out. I have a great time. The work gets done and uh, damn it, I, I well, force friendship on everybody. Right. Well, you know, if you're paying in beer, people, people come. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I have an entire beer fridge dedicated yeah. to uh, home go. improvements. There you go. He does. That, that he does. Well, Aaron, thanks for coming. Thanks oh, no, for making thanks your for... Uh, your first appearance on the Boss Hog Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. If, if people want to follow you, what uh, what do they do? You could look. You could find my Facebook. I still have three thousand friends, so there's plenty of room for crazy still on there. I'll send you my extra. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's what you need is more crazy in your life. 
you know, just search Aaron Ewart. I'm, I'm on there, and uh, I, I occasionally stir up uh, the pot uh, and uh, uh, you, get, get people you, going. You like to stir the pot more than just occasionally. Uh, yeah, I just walk away. I just let the madness <laughs> ensue. <laughs> someday you'll get back to the meme making. Yeah, someday. Yeah, I, that was another reason for divorce. That was the <laughs> the, the the my lawyer is like, I okay, that's a new one. Uh, memes are for <laughs> <laughs> the first first guy to get divorced and have memes be blamed. Memes got brought up in court in the, podcasting. Uh, the first uh, the second lady, uh, Karen Pence, was in the uh, was was in the Indianapolis Star today. I think she spoke to K, uh, CPAC or somebody. Mm. And said that the uh, the vice president is going around uh, drawing political cartoons on the weekend. Ooh. He's doing like old school memes now. That's his that's yeah. his thing. Yep, hand drawn, hand drawn memes. And he drinks an old duels too. Yep, he likes <laughs> old, which is really interesting because I, I've said on this show before I don't agree with a lot of Pence's like you know his his fundamentals. But you want if you want a man with character to look up to, then I mean by God he stands by everything that he says. Absolutely, and yeah. he. Uh, and she said that he loves really thin crust pizza and he likes to wash it down with the no duels. And that is like my <sighs> exact favorite meal is a really thin crust pizza when washing it down with a beer. Like, I, I love that. I don't know that O'Doul's can. I don't know. Yeah, 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 really counts as a beer. beer. But yeah. yeah. You, you get all the calories and none of the alcohol. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's a lose lose situation. <laughs> well, you know, it's the way it goes. So, uh, Dakota, you. Uh, you you signed a bunch of autographs over the weekend with uh or, 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 or on Tuesday night uh, you became the the rock star. Did you get any job opportunities in these campaigns uh, trying to hire I, you? Nope, I never got any job opportunities. I was I was kind of disappointed about that because I figured at least Jonathan Lamb would he'd offer me something, but he didn't. Uh, a lot of people did ask me if I worked for Jonathan Lamb's campaign, and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm 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 part of the press, ma'am. No. <laughs> No, but I, I have a couple of final thoughts here. Uh, the first thing I want to do is plug the uh, the Libertarian Party's area convention, so the District 6 area convention, and it's hosted by uh, the the Henry County Libertarian Party uh, here at Montgomery Steakhouse in Spiceland. So we have the entire back little convention space rented out. Um, I just got the menu, and it, we are going to have – your choice of two different meats, some green beans and some mashed potatoes. It's not going to be um, all pasta. And uh, we got a little bit of a, a discount. So uh, that it's going to be $3 cheaper per person than what it was last year. So it's still a, a really good opportunity for everybody to come out, meet candidates. Um, we're going to nominate candidates. Everybody can see how it's how it's all done. Hang out with some good liberty-minded people. It's a meet and greet with Dakota Davis and Jeremiah Morrill, if nothing else. Yes, of the Boss Hog of Liberty. So uh, bring the, your T-shirts. Uh, we'll sign them. Yep. Uh, Tom Firkenhoff is coming. I know that I mentioned him last week, and uh, Mark Rutherford, another previous guest of the show, uh, Secretary of State candidate, will also be there. And I, Chairman Tim McGuire, who's been on the show. Yes, Tim McGuire. It's a chance is to come. meet like six Boss Hog of Liberty guests all in one oh, spot. Oh yeah, it's going to be a great time, and. Uh, one thing guests. is, is that we really need to make sure that everybody buys a ticket. Like you, this is a ticketed event. It's how we pay for the food and for the facility. And it's limited. There's only 40 tickets, so I think you've got you guys need to buy them quick. Yep, you gotta you gotta snatch them up. So, uh, and then the second thing I want to do is uh, give a shout out to Justin Stevens and uh, Americans for Prosperity once again for. Uh, uh, the opportunity for me to go out to the Senate debate, that was just, that was incredible. It was an awesome opportunity. 
I really, really enjoyed myself and uh, enjoyed just meeting people and being there. It was it was awesome. If you want to follow me, you can always add me, Dakota Davis, on the Facebook and at Atokad Savad on the Twitter. Very good. Thank you, Dakota. Uh, a couple of final thoughts from me. Uh, last week's Robin Miller uh, podcast was fantastic. That's been well-received. Lots and lots of people have seen the uh, seen the post and commented and liked it. Uh, you expanded the uh, the reach of the podcast a long way. Uh, Robin is uh, fighting cancer. We talked about that last week. And if you go back and look at that uh, that link, there's a uh, there's a little eBay store selling uh, selling um, a fellow named uh, Marshall Pruitt is selling uh, stickers, commemorative stickers with AJ Foyt and Robin Miller on them. Uh, Twenty five bucks get you two. Uh, they're on eBay. I think so far they've sold over five thousand dollars in stickers. Money's going directly to Robin to uh, awesome. to pay for his medical expenses as he's fighting this thing. Uh, so we appreciate him being so generous, generous with his time last week. And uh, if you guys uh, have have had the opportunity to listen to that, uh, jump on that eBay store and uh, help him out a little bit. That'd be awesome. Uh, final thing from me: the uh, next week we have Dave Ring on the show. Uh, he's running for uh, state senate, uh, Democrat candidate. Uh, it's in the northern part of Henry County, and then uh, it's a it's a massive rural district as well. Uh, but it's he's from the Muncie area, runs the uh, downtown farm stand. We're excited to meet Dave and, uh, and have him on and learn uh, learn about his platform. Uh, he's kind of uh, the the Bernie Sanders wing of the world, uh, so it'll be uh, be good to have him. But also tying in the ag community, uh, really interested to learn uh, learn about him. The uh, it's an open seat. The uh, current senator Doug Eckerty is retiring, uh, so we're excited to have him on, and uh, he'll be on the ballot for about a third of the people in uh, in Henry County. Uh, excited uh, about the growth of the show, everybody that's listening and participating. Uh, we thank Steve very much for being here, uh, being My here pleasure. tonight. My pleasure. And uh, we'll catch everybody, uh, catch everybody next week. We'll see y'all soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com. <laughs>